Luke chapter 8 is where we are in our study in God's Word today, and I begin with this question, are you a quitter? Are you a quitter? That word quitter has a very negative connotation to it, which is surprising how, given how common it is for us. I mean, we start things all the time and, and then bail. Some of us, uh, more than others, perseverance, generally speaking, is foreign to our nature. So here's an actual uh, newspaper article I, I found fascinating. It was about prisoners protesting the food in, in their prison, which in itself I thought was kind of humorous. But here in this one prison, they actually went on a hunger strike, right? You know, that's where folks go, uh, go weeks with, uh, without eating in, in order to dramatize their plight, but, but not in this case. The paper quotes a sheriff's official who said that the hunger strike lasted, you ready for this? A half hour. <laughs> so how many of you want to go on a hunger strike during my sermon today, huh? <laughs> that, that'll be about it. Another crisis averted. But let's see today uh, what Jesus has to say about quitters when it comes to the area of faith. Verse 4. Luke chapter 8, when a large crowd was coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And he said these things, as he said these things, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then we read the interpretation supplied for us by Jesus in verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who when they hear receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. This is God's word. So we began our study of this tremendous parable last uh, Lord's Day. A quick review for you. Jesus is describing here the very common event of a scattering of seed by a, a sower. The seed, it says, fell into four different types of soils. Now in verses 11 to 15, Jesus tells us who and what are represented by the elements of the parable. The seed is identified as the word of God, the message of the gospel. The sower, therefore, is anybody that disseminates that message. But the emphasis of the parable is really upon the four soils which we have seen are representative of the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. We learn of the soil that formed the path between the crops. This is what we call the roadside hearer, and we nicknamed him last week. Remember this? What was his nickname? Rody. Rody, very good. Jesus says this person never responds to the gospel message. He has a hard heart of unbelief. Next, there was rocky, the rocky soil, and then there was the thorny soil, and then there was the good soil, all of which represents hearts and how they respond in different ways to the word of God. So the four are, again, rody, rocky, thorny, and, and goody. These then make up the major elements of the parable. The major point of the parable, the major idea is this, the essential teaching 
of this portion of, of Christ's word is that the state of one's heart or the state of a, the soil determines the fate of the seed. The state of the soil determines the fate of the, the seed. And, and we are given the case histories of four seeds, all of which face very different destinies. But the seeds themselves, they're all the same. They're tossed by the same sower as well. The difference of each or between each is the state of the soil into which the seed happened to fall. Now, the interpretation, uh, interpretation given by Jesus allows us to know exactly what he was saying, and that is that your heart's condition determines your response to the word of God. So the major event of the parable is the encounter of the human heart with the message of God's word. How does your heart respond? How do you react when you hear the word of Christ? Do you respond like Rhodey, or do you respond like Rocky, or like Thorny, or like Goody? So we looked last time at the first of the four soils, or hearts, the rhodi soil. Today, we study the second of those supplied by our Lord. Uh, the second of these gospel hearers, his name is Rocky. Now, I like Rocky the squirrel, and I'm okay with uh, Rocky the boxer, but we're talking about a different Rocky entirely here. We will, uh, first of all, interpret the facts or determine the facts of the parable as they pertain to Rocky, and then the interpretation provided by Jesus, and then we'll look at the lessons that we are to learn from it this morning. The facts are simple enough. Given in verse 6, other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. So the seed fell on rocky soil. If you grew up in a locale geographically similar to western Pennsylvania, you may envision here a type of soil that is full of, of rocks, right? You've been in soil like that. I, I grew up in central Florida, and we had soil like that. And part of my summer work was to go through our fields on the farm where I grew up and, and pull rocks out. Uh, this is soil into which you may dig your hand or, or your shovel, and you pull out stones of various size. But I'm told that's not the type of soil Jesus is describing. The fact is that plants can grow quite well in soil like I'm describing. But what Jesus is speaking of, the type of rocky soil that would have been prevalent in Palestine and familiar to his hearers, was actually a thin layer of soil that covered a stratum or shelf of, of rock. Palestine is a land of hills, and the valleys, and often in the most fertile soil, you would have sections of ground like this, the shelf or layer of rock covered over by a, a thin layer of, of dirt or soil. Uh, it looks like good ground until you stick a shovel into it, and then you would know there's not much soil there at all, really. In Gospel of Matthew chapter 13, this uh, version of the parable there, Jesus says, others fell in the rocky place where they did not have much soil, <coughs> And immediately they sprang up. But they didn't have much soil. That was the idea. And what happened when the seed fell on this type of earth? Well, going back to our text, verse 6 again. As soon as it grew up, it withered away. Note that the seed did germinate. Okay? A plant grew up. Matthew says immediately it sprang up. Things looked good for this plant initially. Now, I'm, I'm no botanist, not, not at all, but as I understand that a seed planted into this kind of soil would indeed very likely spring up rapidly because it cannot send its roots downwards. So all of its energy, the plant energy, is to send them upwards. Matthew 13, again, verse 5 says, 
Others fell on the rocky soil where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because there was no depth of soil. No depth of soil allowed for an immediate springing upward. As a result, all of its energy and growth, you see, is directed in that way. But that which caused its rapid appearance of vitality was actually the basis of its death because, as we read in our text, it withered away because it lacked moisture. The other gospels mention that it happened when the sun arose. The sun came out. This is the same sun that to other plants would give life, warmth, and, and light are needed for plants to prosper. But in Rocky's case, when it got hot, the plant dried up and it expired because it had no moisture. Now, why did it have no moisture? Because it had no root system. Jesus says in verse 13, rocky has no firm root. The roots could not penetrate the rock that was beneath the soil. And plants without roots are in serious trouble. So the end of rocky is that he withers. He withers and he dies. Those are the facts of the case pertaining to rocky. So uh, our wonderful daughter-in-law Meredith is here today and she's quite the gardener. Uh, and she's, she's been, you know, the last few days concerned about how her plants are doing back in, in West Georgia, and I, I'm concerned that she may be getting triggered here by a story of dying plants. Uh, but me, I can't get concerned about uh, plants, per se. I don't get very stirred up about them dying. But Jesus really isn't talking, of course, about plants. He is speaking of human lives, and so he gives us this interpretation, verse 13. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear... Receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. The rocky here has a very different reaction than did the roadside here. Rhodey, you remember, rejected the word of God out of antagonism or indifference. Rocky receives it with joy. Matthew actually says he see, immediately receives it with joy. Rocky embraces the message as a long-lost friend, but his description continues there in verse 13. They believe for a while, but he says they have no firm root. In, in spite of his glad response, Jesus says something is missing. Something very important is missing. It is his roots. Whatever faith he exhibit doesn't go very deep. It is shallow, and so it says it withers away. They believe for a while. In time of temptation, they fall away. So Jesus here confronts us with the reality of the temporary believer. He believes. He shows a little sprout, little signs of life. He believes for a while. Notice it doesn't say he was saved for a while. There is no temporary salvation, but there is a type of faith that is and can be temporary. We'll say more about that in a few minutes. But now see the final part of Christ's interpretation. Again, those on the rocky soil, when they hear, receive the word with joy, they have no firm root. They believe for a while. In time of temptation, they fall away. The son spoken of earlier parallels represents temptations. The NIV uses the term testings. These are trials or pressures that come upon us. They are like the sun. For some, they provide nourishment, but to those that have no root and thus no moisture, they can and sometimes do bring death. So these are the facts. This is the interpretation given by Jesus. It's simple. It's clear. But its implications its lessons are 
profound. Profound. Turn to your neighbor and says, listen up, this is profound. Go ahead. Listen up, this is profound. Three obvious lessons from this parable. Lesson number one. Joyful or immediate response to God's word is not always a saving response to God's word. Joyful or immediate response to God's word is not always a saving response to God's word. This plant sprouted quickly, showed hopeful signs, but there was never a table set with the produce from this particular plant. No one ever enjoyed either its beauty or its fruit. It started great, but it withered away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus teaches that just because a person responds to the word of God with gladness does not mean that you are dealing with good soil or a pure heart and a converted person. Many people, when they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, like what they hear. They hear the promises of peace and joy and eternal life and happiness, and they say, well, that's for me. That's what I want. That's what I've been waiting for. Give me that. And they say a prayer, or maybe they come for baptism. They want the blessings of the gospel. To them it sounds great, so they receive it with joy, but it doesn't last. They are like a child at Christmas time with a new toy. It's great fun for a few hours, maybe even for a week, but then it becomes clutter. Your kids get Christmas presents. Your grandkids get Christmas toys that become old and boring. Well, by January. And the child may not throw the toy out. Rocky may not renounce Christ. He just no longer really loves him. He has no longer any enthusiasm for Christ anymore. And friends, in my short life, I have seen this happen over and over again. I've seen so many plants spring up immediately and then wither away. I remember meeting with one fellow who was like this, and so he was so high about Jesus. He told me how our church was the greatest thing that he had ever encountered in his life. He, he w- was ready to be baptized. He was ready to join the church and do all he could for God's work, and he was so fired up, and, and he hasn't been back since. Rocky ground hearers. Every pastor sees this. It's especially, I would think, rampant in ministry to the young For years, I was involved in an exciting and dynamic youth program in my hometown. We called it the Thursday Nighter because we met on guess what night? Thursday night during the summer, Thursday Nighter. And we would get all these kids coming out. We got up to 200 kids on a Thursday night. It was a very exciting ministry. And they would come in and they would see all these other kids. And it was a pretty cool place to be. And these kids looked like they were sharp. And the singing was really good and fun. And and those skits, they were hilarious. And everyone there was really, really nice. They had their Bible. And that preacher guy sounded pretty, uh, pretty right on talking about Jesus and about Christianity, and they would say, hey, sign me up. I want some of this. And so they would pray a prayer, and they would sign a card, and they would get involved, and they would do all the things (laughs) that they heard a Christian is supposed to do. It's really wonderful, but watch out. Here comes the sun. For that ministry, the sun, we came to interpret as the start of school in the fall. School starts back. And there are the foul-mouthed friends, there are the flirty girls and the flirty boys and the clubs and the parties and the dances and their supposed Christianity 
would wither and die. And I would work in this ministry in the summers during my college days and my seminary years, and it was always hard to go back uh, for like Thanksgiving vacation because I would come back and, and go, hey, uh, how's so-and-so doing? And I would get some bad news. Where's, where's Susie? Why isn't Bobby here anymore? How about David and Gwen? Gone with the sun. Rocky ground hearers is all they were. They received the word in July with joy, but they withered and died. And you know what makes it doubly sad? They may go through life believing that some card they signed when they were 15 years old was their ticket to heaven. And, and there will be Christian teachers who tell them to think that way. How tragic. Our Lord, however, says it's the one who endures who is actually saved. So let's live in that light. The world contains many Rockies who for some reason received the word of God immediately, but the root of the matter was never truly in them. They believe for a while. So rocky ground here is abound, and, and, and certain of our evangelistic approaches seem designed to create as many of them as possible. We have in the church experts at the quick and hard sell, evangelistic meetings, especially among youth, will we'll use certain types of mood music and strumming guitars to set the stage for a response that they want to elicit out of our young people. Especially kids do respond quickly, maybe emotionally, but often they respond without real faith to a truncated gospel that multiplies the ranks of the Rockies among us by presenting Jesus as the solution to all of our problems, this gospel that is man-centered, you know, four steps to a wonderful life that omits the hard matters of repentance from sin and allegiance to a holy and jealous Lord. Such a gospel, it may produce a glad response, but too often it is not a saving response. The great London Baptist preacher of the 19th century Charles Spurgeon preached to thousands of people every Lord's Day and almost always an evangelistic message, but he never gave an altar call. In fact, he didn't really stay around after church to meet with people that were concerned about their soul, and uh, some of his uh, members complained to him about this, and they told him that any smart evangelist be funny giving lectures on evangelism to Charles Spurgeon. They said, any smart evangelist would strike while the iron was hot, but Spurgeon's response was, if it's of God, it will last until the morning. If it's of God, it'll last until the morning. You look at the ministry of Jesus and how he gathered followers. He didn't beg anybody to follow him. He didn't just present the pleasant sides of being a disciple. He, he kind of seemed to go out of his way to let guys know that they were signing up for a difficult gig. He would say, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. In Luke 14, verse 33, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Huh. As they were going along the road, chapter 9, verse 457, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, that's an enthusiastic, joyful response, right? I, I mean, that's cool. Does Jesus then say, great, come along? No. He responds to this volunteer this way. He says, well... The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, referring to himself, has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is telling him, friend, you don't know what you're getting into here. You come with me, you're going to have hardships. You ready for that? What Jesus understood and what we should see is that emotion and profession may often be just psychological in origin 
not truly spiritual. But perseverance in faith, that, my friends, that's of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I, I don't mean to say that rocky soil hearers only result from bad evangelism. No, no. Bad evangelism increases their number. But even Jesus saw this falling away, didn't he? Even among his 12, there was Judas. In Luke 8, he speaks to a big crowd. Big crowd, Luke 8, by Luke 23, and the cross, how, how many followers are left? What happened to the crowds who received the word with joy? Many of them believed for a while, and in time of testing, in time of difficulty, when the Jesus movement was somewhat less popular, they fell away. That's the number one, then, is not every joyful response to the word of God is a saving response. Lesson number two to be derived from the story of Rocky is this. Temptations and trials will reveal the true state of your heart. That's a thing that cannot uh, generally be seen, the root of the plant or the state of the heart, those things we can't see, but they are uncovered by difficulties and pressures. The same point is made by Jesus in his parable of the two houses, which we uh, talked about a couple of months ago that were constructed on very different foundations. One had a solid foundation, the other did not. And they looked the same until that storm came, and then one fell and one stood, thus revealing the quality of the foundation of each. In our parable, Jesus says the rocky soil plant does fine until the sun comes out. The sun is a trial of some sort, and we learn that when the going gets tough, Rocky evacuates the scene. He falls away. He says, I've had enough of this religion stuff. I didn't bargain for this. People are saying that, are saying that I'm a science denier. They, they call me names. You ask Rocky what happened to his faith, and he'll tell you a little different story. He'll tell you about the occurrences that allegedly destroyed his faith. You know, someone in the church was rude to him. The pastor of the church, oh my goodness, that pastor let me down. He prayed for a promotion at work and instead he lost his job. But Christians see this, it's the same sun that gives vitality and strength to Goody that destroys Rocky. The same sun that brings life to one plant can destroy another. Why is that? The problem with Rocky is not his temptations. Everyone faces those. The problem, Jesus said, is that he has no root, no vital union with Christ, no deep commitment that can endure the hard times. Now, Rocky will tell you his problem is up there. It's that terrible sun up there. That's the problem. The trials and the job pressures and the relational troubles and the illnesses, these aren't the real problems, says Jesus. They just reveal what's going on underneath. The problem, we're told, is in you. No firm root. The trials do not change one's heart. They only reveal its true state. And please understand that when Jesus speaks of one falling away, he is not suggesting that they fell from a state of genuine grace and faith. No, no. They fell away from apparent and professed belief. The Apostle John offers us a helpful word on this subject in 1 John 2, where he speaks about people who had been in the church and then left the church. They had professed faith in Christ in the past, but there in verse 19, he says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. 
You see what he's saying there. Their falling away was simply a disclosure of true colors. They were never really of us. And the testing serves to expose them. All right, so what are some of the common testings in our world? What, what are those circumstances of life that can expose the Rockies? Could be the loss of a spouse, the loss of a lover, could be the loss of a job, could be, uh, could be health problems, could be persecution from unbelievers, could be the testing uh, of either riches or poverty. Maybe you can add to the list. What seems to happen is this. Hebrews 11.6 says, the one who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And somehow a trial or a tragedy gets used of the enemy to convince you that God really is not going to reward those who seek him, that he does not in fact care about those who follow him. Your view of God comes instead of the word from your feelings You're hurt, and you take your eyes off the truth of God, which he did, by the way, seal with the blood of his son. And that is truly tragic, but it happens again and again and again. It doesn't have to be that way. God's design for those trials is to strengthen his children, not destroy them. In fact, for those who endure, those trials like the son prove a tremendous blessing. You're familiar with James 1 in verse 2 where he says, Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Romans 5, we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character. Proven character, hope. And so you realize this, the New Testament was written to a suffering people. It informs them that if they faithfully endure their trials, they will be rewarded. For one, there's the reward of knowing that you are not a Rocky. Your faith has been tested. It has been found true. Speaking of trials, 1 Peter 1.7, these have come so that your faith may be proved genuine. The trials, when endured, validate your faith. What a witness are those who withstand the trials. Many of you have been exemplary in this regard. Trials of tremendous magnitude, and your faith has stood the test. I I think of a a dear woman, I, I, I guess I say I knew her, she's now with Jesus, this, this woman, oh my, the trial. She, uh, she had a son who became brain damaged through a car accident. She had a daughter who committed suicide and left behind four small children. Her husband, Jim, an elder in our church, died a premature death from lung cancer. And yet this woman, one of the most esteemed Christian women I've ever known, ended up devoting the latter years of her life to serving orphans in Ukraine. Her name was Leela, Leela Steele. She had multiple offsprings, a son and several grandchildren in the ministry, and into her 80s, that is how she devoted herself to her Savior. She didn't see in any of those trials that God must not really love me. She believed his promise and his word. She came through those trials like a star. Why? She had roots. 
Some of you have been through similar trials and difficulties. What a witness are those who experience affliction and do not, do not wither. I think two of those in Scripture who went through it all. Moses, David, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, Paul, and of course our Lord himself. Why do so many, though, believe for a while and then quit? Part of it's a failure to count the cost. In Luke 14, Jesus urges us to count the cost of discipleship, but so many don't hear that warning. All they hear is talk of peace and fellowship and love in heaven. They're like the high school kid who saw some Marines in a parade marching sharply in their dress blues, catching the eyes of the ladies. And so he goes down to the uh, recruiting office and he signs up to be a Marine. He looked at that and thought, that's for me right there. He never thinks about the trenches and, and the bullets and the blood and the war or even the 10-mile marches in full gear. He's just impulsive and immature, no root of true commitment. And we live in a day of easy divorce from husband or from wife, easy divorce from our Lord as well. We are experienced tasters, and when the taste goes sour, we spit it out and get on with our games. But listen, Christianity says Chesterton has never been tried and found wanting, it has only been found difficult and left untried. And what grieves me is that Rocky witnesses to the world that Christianity isn't real. That's what so many hear and see when these folks who spouted the name of Jesus then turn their back on him. And the reality was he never counted the cost. Thank God the voice of those who endure is louder and clearer than these. Well, that's lesson number two from the parable. Temptations and trials reveal the true state of your soul, your heart. Lesson number three, I'll make brief, lest you be tested by the length of this sermon. Lesson three follows closely behind number two, and that is that you need deep roots. Every believer needs deep roots. Say that with me, deep roots. Roots, deep roots. My, my son asked me yesterday, where do people in Pittsburgh go for trips and vacations? And I'm like, well, uh, you know, Beth and I, we go to your house uh, <laughs> and to Texas and to Florida. But, but I, here's my best thing. I said, well, go to the Outer Banks. Got Outer Banks people here, yeah? Uh, some, uh, Great Lakes, uh, some, some of the places up there. Uh, uh, what about Deep Creek? I mentioned Deep Creek. How many Deep Creek people are here? Vacation to Deep Creek? Any, how many of you? Come on, let me see your hand. How many of you have ever? Not that many. I guess I wasn't. We, we've never been, but we've driven through Deep Creek. So Deep Creek is nice, but what we need is deep roots. That's what was lacking in Rocky. He was shallow. His religion was that of impulse feeling, untested faith, no root of truth or conviction or commitment. This was his problem from the start. He never had those things. Colossians 2 verse 6. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been, what's it say? Firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Firmly rooted. Make it, young Christian. And I speak here to the graduates today especially you young people in high school or wherever you are in life, but this applies to all of us. Make it your chief concern in life that you be firmly rooted in God's truth. Send those roots down deep through time in God's word and time before him in prayer. 
The modern church can give you a whole lot of stuff to do and be involved in and keep you busy. It can give you a good, wholesome, religious time, but it can also leave us desperately shallow, and shallow is not a problem until the weather goes bad. But I promise you, that day for you is coming when the sun becomes scorching or the storm hits and you prepare for that day by sinking your roots deeply into the truth of God and into a personal, deep personal relationship with Jesus himself. I close with a quote from Philip Brooks, a great 19th century preacher who wrote this, someday in years to come, you will be wrestling with the great temptation or trembling under the great sorrow of your life But the real struggle is here now. Now it is being decided whether in the day of your supreme sorrow or temptation you shall miserably fail or gloriously conquer. Character cannot be made except by a steady, long, continued process. Which merged with the grace of our Savior plants you deep in the soil of gospel truth. And to that I add my amen. I urge you to make that the process of establishing firm roots in the grace and truth of Christ Jesus our Lord. Critical for our graduates, critical for each of us. Let's pray. Father, we don't know what tomorrow may bring, but you've promised us, and uh, and, and an observation would tell us anyway, that difficult times are ahead. Times that can either strengthen our faith and and produce great fruit or they can destroy us if we are not ready. So, Father, we pray that you give us an intensity of commitment, a determination of soul to plant our, our lives deep within the soil of your sweet word that there we might be nourished by your truth and grow up in grace to bear fruit to eternal life. Lord, we we haven't looked at the good soil yet, but we pray that you would make us that. And, And Father, where we have been like the rocky soil here, where we have not counted the cost, where we have quickly turned away and abandoned you, forgive us, mighty King, and draw us instead of running away to sink our roots deeper. And Lord, for those who are convicted today by this story because they see themselves in it, We ask that you mercifully grant them the gift of repentance, that you would come and turn that broken soil up or that rocky soil, grind it up and make it soft and receptive to the seed of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.